Welcome to the Obscure Pastor Podcast. I'm Drew Carpenter, your host on the podcast for all kinds of ministers and other followers of Jesus who work in relative obscurity. Well, today on the Obscure Pastor Podcast, my guest is Jen Wilkin. Jen is an author and Bible teacher from Dallas, Texas. She has organized and led studies for women in home, church, and parachurch context. She serves on the staff of the Village Church as Executive Director, Next Gen Ministries for the Flower Mound Campus. Jen and I have known each other for a number of years and served together at a church where, among other ministry, Jen and my wife, Carmen, led a women's Bible study. Hey, Jen, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Oh, it's so fun to get to be on. Thanks for me. Well, I'm glad to have you here, well, virtually here. Can you briefly tell me about your current ministry situation? Like, what kind of work do you do, and who do you work with? Yeah, so um, it's actually a fairly recent development that I'm doing next-gen ministries. Most of the time that I have been on staff at the Village, I was working in the Village Church Institute, which is where basically it's our adult education arm of the church. Uh, And so my my primary ministry emphasis is on building Bible literacy in the church. And um, just recently, I've had the opportunity to start doing that um, as I'm overseeing NextGen. So we're we're overseeing holistic discipleship. Um, My colleague, JT English, and I have been thinking through scope and sequence for Christian education for birth through um, the end of life. That's kind of what I've been doing lately. That's awesome. Do you... And so, but you're also teaching, you're still writing books and studies yes. and putting those out? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, we're putting studies out through the Village Church. I, I, I'm the lead teacher for the women's Bible study that we have there, but the curriculum that we put together is used by both the men and the women. And then we have other classes that we do as well. And then personally, I publish um, various things. I have Bible studies and books that I've published that were actually a product of my time doing um, ministry in the community before I came on staff at the village. So that's kind of what's going on there. Okay, cool. Well, I usually ask my guests why they consider themselves to be obscure, but you aren't all that obscure, at least in some Christian circles, but uh, you agreed to come on the obscure pastor podcast anyway. Is that because you know me or did something else pique your interest? Well, I'm neither obscure nor a pastor, I would just like to point out for the record. Uh, but uh, being a good being a good Southern Baptist, I like to get that on the record early on. But um, yeah, I, you know, I'm an accidentally uh, known person. I never thought I would be. And I think that a lot of times people look at people who gain a platform and think that there was some strategy, you know, like it's like, oh, how could I get my name out there? And that may be true of some people. I honestly don't know. But in my case, I just kind of got dragged into um, into the, the Christian limelight, so to speak. Um, there was a vacuum uh, in the in the in the blogosphere and in just um, Christian publishing uh, when it came to female voices who were thinking and writing theologically. And I think I just kind of, it was like right place, right time. And it just sort of happened. Do you think, I mean, that was, that's been several years. We're not going to get into years necessarily, uh, but that's been, that's been a while. 
Yeah. Um, and so when did, so your first book that you put out, I, I guess your first Bible study that you published, what was that? Well, the first Bible study came after the first book, actually. I couldn't okay. get, uh, I, I didn't have any interest in my Bible studies. That was the only thing I had actually reached out to a publisher about at one point because they took so much work. And I knew that that what we were doing was working because I could see it working on the ground in my in my day-to-day ministry. And so just from a standpoint of knowing that there was there was a lack of, of resources in the marketplace that were that were actually training people in tools of Bible study versus just telling them content or, or devotional content. I really wanted that, um, that stuff to get out there, but no one would, would pay any attention to it because they said my studies were too long and required too much work. Uh, but then I wrote women of the word. Uh, I think it published, well, I hope I get this right. I think it came out in 2014. And after that, there was a growing interest in, in the other things. But, you know, prior to, prior to that, I've just been teaching in the local church or in the community um, to whoever would come and sit and listen to me with no, no thought that it would ever be any different than that. Hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I, as I recall, when we first started, I mentioned we served in church together, you and I want to say Lori Kirkendall yeah. were our middle school girls Bible That's study right. leader on Sunday morning. You two That's guys. Right. And so. Jeff and, and Chris Kirkendall taught the boys. And That's right. We would, we would crack up all the time about how Lori and I were over there doing crafts and teaching a lesson. And they were on the other side of a divider, basically herding cats the whole time with the boys. Yep. Uh, but Good we times. both joke, we're like, we're like, that was like the best proving ground for being able to teach anybody a passage of the Bible. So, <laughs> <good> experience. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, I'd like for well, you to go ahead. I was going to say, and then Carmen and I, like when we were teaching that that women's Bible study together, you know, it's so funny because those were the those were the formative spaces where I was really beginning to see, oh my gosh, Bible literacy is a real issue. Things like re- repeated readings of a passage make a difference. And but it's so strange to me that you know when we were in that church in Houston, I was doing all of the same things. Carmen and I were doing the things that I'm doing now. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it was maybe 30 people in a room or something like that. So that's why I said this whole thing's just really surprising, but also great. Cause it's, 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 it's a lot of hard work and you do want things to be utilized as widely as possible, but it's, it's definitely a privilege. Right. And you now uh, remind me of this. I think you were an English major, but also got a master's was that in business. Yeah. In business. Yeah. But so, I mean, the writing stuff, as far as being an English major, that comes in handy down the road and putting, putting your paragraphs and sentences together and really enjoying that, the craft of actually writing all those things down for people to see is a real skill. Oh, absolutely. What are some of the challenges you face since you are relatively well-known? For instance, is it the pressure to watch what you say or people's false expectations for you, or maybe your own false expectations? You know, I know this is important for all of us as people who minister, who teach God's word. Um, But do you feel the weight of that now more than you did in the past? Um, I would say that it's different. I I would hate to think that anyone stands up to teach the Bible without sensing the heaviness of it, regardless of the size of the room. So I don't know that that has um, gotten bigger because it doesn't, you know, you're not going to change what you teach just because there's more people in the room. 
But I do think that what I'm up against now is, you know, there's a there's enough of like a history of my teaching out there that um, people will go back and pull something that I said six or seven years ago. Um, and they might even just like choose a little sound bite of something and pull it completely out of context. And I think that's been the hard thing for me is um, my fear is not that I... Um, that, that people won't like me or, um, or, uh, or that they'll like reject me because, um, I'm not enough for them. It's that, uh, I will be misunderstood. I think that's the underlying fear for me as a teacher. And so you can disagree with me and it doesn't bother me, but if you've twisted what I said or misunderstood what I said, that really is, is tough for me to deal with. And so I've had to learn not to read what people are saying um to just kind of let book reviews and noise on twitter or whatever just live out there and not let it get in my head and just remind myself that i answer to the lord and that really the most important um i'm gonna put audience i'm doing air quotes but the most important audience that i will ever serve is the one that's in my local church the people who actually know me as a human being um, I actually really feel for people who have a public ministry who don't have an on-the-ground ministry in their community or church because I think it's really hard to stay grounded. I need to know that there are people who, you know, like the women who come to my Bible study every week, I can have a week that's mediocre or bad, and they're going to come back the next week because they're in it for the long term with me, and and they know that across the course of our time together, we're all going to move forward. So it's just really, really different than dropping into a church and doing a, a conference where you do three sessions and then you leave again. Um, those are both really important settings, but I, I love the, the local ministry one because it keeps me from letting it get in my head if people are trying to misunderstand me or critique me unfairly. I, I hear what you're saying as far as being misunderstood. Generally speaking, my problem being misunderstood is just I didn't say it very clearly <laughs> and, I, and I know that's that's not you're, you're very articulate and well thought and, and I'm 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 I think about stuff but I yeah putting it out there in the appropriate words sometimes it just doesn't come right so I have to watch myself yeah I have to go you know what I don't need to say that right now or I don't need to post that or put any yeah so yeah I think we all have to kind of go okay you know who is this helping and who is this serving and what, what's our best way of doing this stuff? And people for, since the, since the, the word has been written down, I've been taking little bitty pieces of it and pulling it out of context. And so what's to say they wouldn't yeah. do that with people who are trying to teach it appropriately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting to me. You know what? It's really changed the way I, or it's really shaped the way I think about social media use. Like, um, because I think most people, you know, having a big platform and, and knowing that whatever I put out there, someone's going to, uh, either tear it apart or say, well, you didn't say this, or you didn't say that, you know, like, it's just like, um, death by a thousand qualifications. Anytime I say anything, uh, it really does help me be slow to speak in a way that I don't know that I would have learned otherwise. Like, I loved airing my opinions for years, you know, like that you knew me when I was younger and there wasn't much I wouldn't say. And um, the Lord has used this as a really good testing ground for me to realize, nope, the world does not actually need my opinion on every single thing. Um, so I'm, I'm actually thankful for that. 
Well, anybody that's known you or heard you speak knows that you're very quick with the wit and are quite quite funny. And so, yeah, you and have to go. That never backfires. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, oh, oops. So, anyways. Do you remember? See. Do you remember the first time I met you? Do you remember uh, the day oh, we met? Oh man, you're gonna do this. I, I probably. I have told. Uh, this has stuck with me. I'm glad it didn't stick with you, but we, I don't know if you remember, but um, you came in and we had had kind of a rough run in youth ministry before you got there. And so I thought I was being hilarious. And I said, um, welcome. Um, and I hope you aren't going to suck at your job. And, and you said, oh, I see you have the spiritual gift of discouragement. <laughs> I said that. <laughs> Oh, man. I do vaguely remember you saying that, but I don't remember me having any kind of good response. So perfect. And it has really stuck with me because I thought, I mean, it was it was the right thing to say. And I needed to hear it. It's like, why lead with that? Why not just say welcome? I'm so glad you're in here. So it was really funny. Well, I hope I didn't suck at my job either. So (laughs) you did not. You did not suck. We did. okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, that's yeah. Okay. Now it's in there for posterity's sake. Cool. Are there any unique challenges you faced as a woman in a vocation that's um, fairly male dominated, especially at the top, especially when you're talking about writing Bible studies for um, lots of people and those types of things. Has that been something you feel like you've had to deal with over the years? Maybe not right now, but yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been a huge factor in my ability to do ministry and uh, the rooms I've been invited into or kept out of. It just is what it is. And I always like to preface any remarks on this by saying that for me personally, um, there are no villains in my story. It was not as though um, I was being purposefully excluded or overlooked for things. But um, in the church in particular, you know, um, Guys, pastors come out of seminaries that are predominantly male, or at least historically have been so, which just means that from a sociological standpoint, their networks are almost entirely male. And so they just, it's not so much that they don't value the gifts and contributions of women as it is that most of them just don't know women very well. They don't have any women who they know beyond a casual hello. And so in the church, the way that that can play out is that when it's time to allocate resources, like how much budget are we going to give to this versus this, or how much calendar are we going to give to this versus this, um, really in any organization, leaders entrust responsibility and resources to the people that they have the greatest trust level with. And in most cases in the church, they, men in leadership haven't developed any level of trust with women, either because they don't know them or because they've been discouraged from having contact with them. Um, because of the fear of impropriety or the appearance of impropriety. So it's, it's been very difficult to be a woman in the church, particularly with a teaching gift, um, difficult to find mentorship and advocacy. But, um, but then I, when I did find it, it's just been the sweetest thing to serve as brothers and sisters side by side. Right. And you do some mentoring and you, you bring younger women along and probably even older women along in that, you, you kind of hone in on those people's gifts uh, from what I understand. Oh yeah. I try to, and I have, in fact, you know, I've been in this one location long enough, like through the village and with having had a history of multiple campuses, we've been able to raise up teams of women teaching in all of our campuses. And then at 
some of the church plants that are affiliated with us. So that's been really satisfying to see. But the other nice part of it was, you know, it, when we served together, I was too young to be taken seriously. Uh, and then I moved four hours north to Dallas and suddenly became too old to be taken seriously in the earlier days because the village was such a young population. Um, but now I'm like, so I'm 51 and I'm, you know, one of the, I'm, I might be the oldest woman on staff, one of the oldest women on staff. And so I don't just have opportunities to give mentorship to younger women. I also am able to mentor the guys who are coming through our church planning um, program and some of the younger guys who are on staff and to truly serve as more of a church mother. Uh, and that's been really satisfying to see. That's really cool. What are some of the things that inspire you? Like if you're having a day and you just like need to get a grip on what's going on, what are some, where are some places you look? This is, I know this is the most obvious answer for the girl who's a Bible study teacher, but I really do find it in turning to the scriptures. Like um, for me, I don't, I don't separate out the time that I'm working on things for the Bible study from my own personal devotional time, those two things are the same for me. Um, I feel like I can't teach it or write about it if it hasn't first hit me in the guts. And so um, when I'm low or if I'm feeling like all of the administrative or managerial aspects of ministry are dragging me down, I I go back to the thing that I love the most, which is just getting into the scriptures and um, trying to think well about them so that I can feel rightly about God. it, It always grounds me again cool do you is there a certain place you like to go at a certain time in the scripture well my i'm finding that the 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 longer i've been doing this that my favorite book is genesis like i just keep going back specifically to genesis 1 through 11 which obviously shapes so much of how we understand the rest of the bible because it's the most foundational um, portion of the scriptures, but I feel like I keep going back there and mining new connections and new truth that, that bring order to the whole, the whole of scripture for me. And, you know, if you're spending time in, in Genesis one through three, in particular, you, you get to spend a lot of time thinking about who is God? Um, who am I? And why am I here? Like answering those basic worldview questions that just keep you grounded and and, and, and and focused on the sense of, oh, this is why the Great Commission, the Great Commandment matter because, because of all these things. What's your encouragement for ministers who do great work but are, are living in obscurity? Um, I would say that uh, this is probably... I hope that this is already obvious to anyone who who would be hearing this, but you know there is no such thing as an obscure pastor before the Lord and an obscure servant of the Lord. There is no such thing, um, but it can feel like, gosh, I'm just slogging it out here, and and for what? Uh, and that's that's a great act of trust to to do the right thing and not demand um, measurable outcomes. And uh, I would just say that I also don't really have measurable outcomes. I have measurable outcomes by human standards. Like people can look at how many Twitter followers I have or whatever and say, wow, she's successful. But the ultimate measure of the success or failure of any of our ministries probably won't be known by us until we stand before the Lord. 
And so um, I would say that the level of trust required of, of a person who's laboring in obscurity is the same level, but of a different nature than the level of trust that is required of someone who is laboring in the limelight. Um, and we just have to do the right thing for the right reason and, and not pay attention to metrics one way or the other um, because we want to please the Lord. We work as unto the Lord. So I think there are pep talks we have to give each other on either side of, of, of the obscurity question, uh, and neither is probably easier. I've been really thankful. I'm in Matt Chandler's church. I'm thankful to have landed um, front and center with an example of someone who has a great deal of, um, of notoriety within the church and does not care. He just doesn't care about it. And, and I know like from the outside looking in or from that people might question whether that's really who he is, but it is really who he is. And so I'm thankful that at the point that I began to be better known, I was able to follow his example. Just, you know, what matters? My church matters. The people who know me matter. I'm not going to, you know, like isolate myself in an ivory tower and surround myself with a posse and, um, and become a big deal and start asking for the purple M&Ms in the green room. You know, I'm just going to be someone who serves the Lord in the place that the Lord has given me and, and tries to uh, be responsible to the size of the microphone that I'm handed, but also ultimately understands that this is about life on life ministry for all of us. That's awesome. That that keeps coming up with us in this. Uh, I think you're probably the tenth or eleventh of these interviews that I've done with people that are serving at little bitty tiny churches and people that are kind of have more of a platform like you do. And it's it's that we have an audience of one really when we get right down yeah. to it. And are we doing the things? Are we being faithful as God is faithful? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned Matt Chandler. I. Uh, every time I hear that name, I think that guy did, uh, he was the, the, the speaker at my first middle school <laughs> camp at Sugar Creek. People were like, no, he wasn't. I was like, yeah. He was. You told me that when we moved up here because we didn't know who he was. I mean, we, we came here, we came to the village because it was close to our house and someone had told us, oh, we would join that church if we were up there. And I was like, I've never heard of that guy. And then we got there. And I remember the first Sunday, and this was many people's experience. He just yelled the whole time. And I turned to Jeff and I was like, who is, why is he yelling at me? And Jeff was like, oh, you'll get used to it. And I, I, I don't know if I interacted with you or with Carmen at that point, but I remember that. And I told Jeff, I'm like, you're not going to believe this. Our pastor used to do our middle school summer camp. And uh, we yeah. laughed so hard about that. Yeah, that. That was the first year. So Chuck was still with us. He kind of helped us get it set up because he was, yeah. I just gotten hired and Robbie C was our our band. Oh my he, he was the band, so it's like, yeah, wow, cool. <laughs> so I know some people that aren't obscure, but uh, I'm good. It's all fun. Yeah, we're having a great time. So we're kind of getting into the fun stuff, anyway. Now I should start calling these Drews three or something like that because I just ask them every time. And are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Who is your favorite musical artist? Uh, I would say right now John Mayer. Nice. He did you see? He posted something. He posts stuff on social media every day. Yes. Well, quite a bit. He posted something about the Imagine, and he put himself in the Imagine because he didn't get invited to it. Apparently, 
Like there's, a, there's this thing, this thing going around where I don't know who started it, but all these celebrities who can and cannot sing both um, had, they didn't invite him to it. So he interjected himself. So if you can find it, go check it out. It's That's awesome. hilarious. Anyways, <laughs> he's a funny dude and a very talented musician. I'd like to hear something about you. Not very many people know. Oh gosh. I don't have a ton of secrets at this point. Um, let me see. Um, uh, this is, this might be something not a lot of people know. You would know it. Uh, we had four babies in four years. We have exactly four years between our oldest Matt and our youngest Calvin. So it was a lot of babies for a while. I do remember that. Know that yeah. for sure. Yeah. And yeah. had them all in college at the same time, I believe. Yeah, which is terrible. I mean, that was we 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 went through those first eighteen years going, we're geniuses, and then you're like, oh my gosh, we're the biggest idiots. How are we possibly going to pull this off? So it's been fun. We're almost done. We're almost done. Getting close. Well, mm-hmm. how can people find you if you want to be found? I know you have. Uh, I I pretty we follow each other on Twitter, but I follow you on Instagram too because part of it is I get to follow your handsome husband and. Uh, I get to see the cute pug dog. The puggies. So is Instagram a a good place or Twitter or you tell me, where's the best place for folks to find you? Man, we both know that Instagram is the last happy place when it comes to social media. So yeah, I mean, I do put stuff on Twitter, but Twitter's a beating. So I try to avoid it. Uh, Yeah. Instagram or I have an author page on Facebook. If people want to follow like you know, stuff that I'm putting out, resources or interviews. I usually link to everything there. Um, and I do have a website, but I'm not great about keeping it up to date. Okay. Is that like jenwilkin.net or something like that? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And actually there. Do you link that to Facebook? Wanna... I think so. Yeah. I'm pretty okay. sure. Do you like what a social media wizard I am and have crafted this whole empire with so much thought? I have not. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I, you know, when I did this, I'm... I, People are like, do you go by Drew? It's like, well, in I've been Drew on Twitter and Drew on Instagram because there's other Andrew Carpenters that are famous out there. So I just took Drew. I went by that in college. I, people have called me that off and on through the years. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I might as well. I'll, I'll do it. Stick with it. Yeah, so, that's exactly what happened to me. Yeah, just you is need, that right? you, yeah, you were Andrew and I was Jennifer, and now we're Drew and Jen. Yeah, but are you Jen? <laughs> like people introduce you as Jen. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. So everybody after we moved from Houston. So I always know where I know someone from because in Houston, they, they, what happened was we moved up here and Jeff had to set up a new email account for me. And of course you couldn't get an email that was my name because Jennifer is such a common name. So he he abbreviated it as Jen. And then everyone who I met in at the village just started calling me Jen and I was too embarrassed to correct them. And it just stuck. (laughs) Oh, no. So I could have called you Jennifer this whole time and it would have been okay. No, you just would have confused people. And what the funniest part is, is that up until we moved to Dallas, only Jeff called me Jen. Everybody else called me Jennifer. And so then we get up here and everybody starts using his name for me. And so he switched back to Jennifer. And I was like, "Hun, you're just going to confuse people. Just stick with the script. So, yeah, I'm Jen now. That's awesome. Well, do you have anything (laughs) you have anything you'd like to say before? I don't know. We might edit part of this out because I'm just being goofy at this point but um do you do you have anything you want to say before we kind of call call it a a, a day a, a yeah podcast? yeah 
Um, I'm a huge fan of Drew Carpenter, whether the world ever knows who he is or not. I'm a fan of you and your wife and your family. And um, the time that we got to share together in ministry is precious to me and was formative for me. And so I was just really excited to get to reconnect with you and be on the show. That's awesome. Let's do it again sometime. Well, again, thank you so much for being on. I really enjoyed it. I did enjoy catching up. And I thank you for uh, reminding me of the the good times back then. The memories. Tell Carmen I said hello. I definitely will. Thanks, Jen. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. I want to thank you for listening to the Obscure Pastor podcast. As you know, we are in the midst of a global pandemic. And as a result, I have backed off of trying to recruit pastors to come on my podcast because most pastors like me have found themselves doing a very different job than they were doing just a few weeks ago. And so there's definitely a learning curve and I'm trying to be cognizant of that. I will, however, over the next few weeks, continue with the podcast. It may look and feel a little bit different, but I hope you'll continue to tune in. I've had such a great time reconnecting with old friends, making new friends, and hopefully being an encouragement to you and to others. If you've been following the episodes, you found, like I did, that none of us are totally obscure, especially with the ones we love and the ones we work alongside. And we serve a God who knows us and loves us, and loves us whether we perform well or succeed in the world's eyes. That message is for all of us. You've been listening to the Obscure Pastor Podcast. If you like the podcast, share it with a friend. Subscribe today and sign up at ObscurePastor.com for my brief weekly e-letter. It's a dose of encouragement and inspiration. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drew Carpenter. So let's be friends.